Beginning here with verse 16, Luke chapter 4, hear God's word. He went to Nazareth, speaking of Jesus, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. Well, I'm going to take this passage a little differently than maybe you expect this morning because we've been talking about learning to lead like Jesus. And if you've been with us over these last several weeks, we talked about the, the head of a leader and the heart of a leader. And last Sunday, we spent some time talking about the hands of a leader. You know, as Jesus is the leader of leaders, the king of kings, we have discovered that leading is not mean that, does not mean that we are bossy and obnoxious and controlling. No, in fact, what we see again and again, and again in Jesus' leadership is that it is willingness to lay one's life down. And as I've thought about what it means to lead like Jesus, it occurs to me there's one other area I'd like to address. A, a number of years ago, Stephen Covey was famous for his classic book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, I suspect in this room over the years, many of you have read it, and maybe even tried to apply many of its principles. But this morning, I want us to think together and identify some of the habits of Jesus. And to be honest with you, none of these are going to surprise you. None of these are going to be earth-shattering, and, 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 and if you've been in the church for very long, you've probably picked up on many of these and understood that these are important. But I think it's important that we review them and think about them together. I got pulled over the other day here in North Olmstead, and I said to the, uh, to the policeman, can you help me out? I'm just a poor preacher, and 
you know, the, the man said to me, yeah, I know, I've heard you preach, but what does that have to do with the ticket I'm going to give you, you know? Um, my point is, this, this isn't going to be one of those dramatic messages, but I promise you that if you would think about these habits, you would incorporate them into your life, your life will change, and you will know God. C.S. Lewis once said that Christians don't need to be taught new ideas so much as they need to be reminded of old truth. That's what we're going to do this morning. One of the things I love about this passage is that it reminds me that Jesus had the habit of regular worship. This morning, we're only offering one of our services here at the 915. That means that many of you had to make an extra effort to change your schedule, your Sunday routine, to gather with us here in worship. It also likely means that some said, you know what, it's not worth it, I'll just uh, not worry about this hour, and they've gone on with their routine and week. Now, if you are here this morning, you made a conscious decision to do so. And I, I want you to know this, and I don't want you to miss out. Folks, if we are going to truly be like Jesus, lead like Jesus, let's take note that Jesus was in the synagogue in what was his community's gathering for worship every Sabbath. It was his custom to do so. In fact, a really neat study to do sometimes is just to look at all the significant events that happened while Jesus went to synagogue. Essentially, he was in his church when he was worshiping. We know, for instance, that his parents took him regularly and were faithful in that. He didn't quit attending when he was old enough to make his own decision. He didn't refuse to attend because he knew more than the local rabbi. He, he didn't make a habit of attending the soccer game instead of worshiping the Lord. He didn't complain that the services were too long and boring. In fact, what you will notice is that not only did Jesus regularly attend his synagogue, but he did it even when he was out of town. He went to the local synagogue wherever he was. It was his custom. Jesus made it a habit to worship on the Sabbath. Listen, it seems to me that you are never going to be a truly influential, effective Christian leader until you make worship a part of your priority and a part of your routine. We never get beyond that. We never graduate past that. I hear people say, you know, I can, I can be a Christian and not go to church regularly. But that's like a, the driver of a car saying, I can drive without stopping for gasoline. If, if Jesus, who was perfect, felt it was important to attend and worship regularly, how much more of the, uh, should those of us who are by far not perfect, who want to be like Jesus, probably need to do the very same thing. Regular worship 
coming together, hearing the songs, participating in the worship. It charges our spiritual batteries. It reminds us of what we are supposed to be, what our priorities are. We're challenged with the, the ethics and the principles of God's kingdom. We're moved outside of our own selfishness. We discover again that our significance is in our relationship with God. Regular worship gives testimony to others about our faith. Your neighbor knows whether or not you go to church. There's a sense when we come together that we become accountable to one another. We're not mavericks trying to live out the Christian life alone. In this place, we've got people who care about us. And it gives us an opportunity to care about them. And we invest ourselves in other people's lives. We, we think worship is often about us and our attitudes and our preferences. But I'm telling you, this experience changes a whole lot when instead I ask the question, when I come into this place, Lord, not what did I get out of the service, but it changes dramatically when I start asking, what did I give to it today? Who did I love today? Who did I meet today? Who, who, who expressed a need that I can take care of? What did I find out today? Where, where, where can I change today? You see, see, that perspective changes everything. It's not about me. It's about what I can give and do as a result of the grace of experience. Regular worship, being here, taking the time to get to know names, Develop healthy friendships that provide reinforcement and encouragement are one of the ways that God wants to change and develop holiness in your life. But let's not forget that the central part of worship is that God is worthy to be praised. He is a God who saved us and has given us eternal life through Jesus. He is powerful and good and holy, and we ought to be the kind of people who celebrate him and get excited about entering into his presence where we can offer ourselves to him and lift his name high. One of the things I've come to appreciate about uh, Beth Moore, who is a, a teacher that I follow often on uh, Twitter, actually, I was reading uh, not too long ago that she says one of the keys to her own ongoing effective ministry is that she made a commitment to teach Sunday school in her local church on a regular basis. Now, if you know anything about Beth Moore's ministry, you know that she has numerous opportunities to speak and could be gone every week, literally, to go to other churches, to speak in conferences, to larger groups, whatever. But she made a commitment. She believes it's vitally important for her to be connected to a local church. I think that's wonderful. I think there are a lot of people who never become leaders in the church because they've got way too much stuff going on outside of it. The church is important to God. And if you can't make a serious commitment to to serve and to lead because you're never here, well, then maybe something needs to be adjusted. Did you know that George Washington's pastor said of him, no company ever kept him from church? I mean, that's, that's an incredible statement. 
J.C. Penney, the founder of the department store, once said, if a man is too busy to go to church twice a week, he's got more busyness than God intended for him to have. And Jesus, Jesus went into the synagogue. It was his custom. I, I just want to add a, a, about three footnotes here, if you don't mind, to this idea. First, let me just suggest to you, do you know it's a lot easier to go to church every week than two or three times a month? It's a lot easier. Why? Because if you get into the habit of attending church every week, it eliminates a question, doesn't it? Are we going to church tomorrow? Sunday morning church should not be a Saturday night decision. It's automatic. I've said this before, you've heard me state it, but I had a drug problem growing up. My parents drug me to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And maybe that's why I didn't have a drug problem <laughs> later. Secondly, let me just say this. Online church can be beneficial, but it is no substitute for the gathering of the body. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving and love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What is that day? That's the day that Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Boy, you know, where, where do I want to be found? I want to be found in this community and part of it and, and blessed by it. And thirdly, parents, I realize this is a little bit controversial today, but don't be afraid to insist that your children go with you every week from the time they are little until they leave your house. If they're normal, they're going to push up against it sometimes, and yes, they're going to complain. I don't want to go. I think it's boring. The kids don't like me there. I don't get anything out of it. You can come up with the notions and excuses. But parents, let me remind you that you are the spiritual leader of your home. And the best gift you can give to your child is a relationship with God. That they understand that, that God created them and has a purpose for them and he loves them. What a great opportunity to teach them that life is not all about excitement and doing what they want to do. Because if you establish early on that they would go every week, they eventually get the message and quit protesting. And listen, your children will rarely make more of a commitment to church than you are willing to make. Now, I hear some parents say, well, I don't want to turn my kids off to church by making them go. So when they become teenagers, I'll let them decide for themselves. But let's, let's think about that. What do we say to our kids when they say, I don't want to go to math class? We say, get your rear in gear and go to math class. Because that's important, isn't it? 
If we say that about math class, but we say, well, you know, church is optional, what are they going to conclude? Math is important. Church, not so much. Take it or leave it. They conclude that going to class and learning about math is vital, but going to church and passionately pursuing God in a relationship with him is sort of optional. I wonder sometimes what would happen if we approached taking our kids to church like they might get a scholarship for it. For every person who claims, I don't go to church because my parents made me go when I was young, I can find 20 people who would say, I go to church today because my parents loved me enough to be faithful, and they said it was for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. In a world where our children are exposed to so much evil, and it's out there. <laughs> I'm not even going to begin. I, I, gender dysphoria is now said to be impacting 20 plus percent of young teenage girls. This is a social contagion of a demonic philosophy that is overtaking our educational system and healthcare system. Our children need to hear God's plan, God's love, and God's truth for their lives. Parents, we have to take responsibility for that. Now, there's another habit that I see in this passage that I thought I would highlight. We recognize that Jesus had the, the habit of reading Scripture. He had a habit of opening this book, and he knew it. Verse 6 says, he stood up to read, and he found the place where it was written in Isaiah. I, I love the fact that it, it gave no indication that when he picked up the book, he, he, he had to ask, well, where's Isaiah? You know, he already had that figured out. He knew what was going on here. This was a book he was familiar with because he had read it regularly. Think about it. When Jesus was just a boy, Jesus was, uh, was found at the temple, and you remember Luke reports that there in the temple he began to talk to the scribes and the chief priests, but then it says they were amazed at his answers. I think his parents must have taken very seriously Deuteronomy 11, 18 and following, which says this, fix these words of mine on your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk down the road, when you lie down and when you get up. They, they help their, their son study and learn and memorize the scripture. And so at the beginning of his ministry, you'll remember that Satan attacks him in the wilderness with the three temptations, and Jesus has nothing to defend himself but the scripture. 
And each time, Jesus uses God's word as his defense, as his guard. That was the pattern of Jesus' ministry. And so let me just say this. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be a better boss, a better manager of people, a better dad, a better teacher, a better mother, then make reading your Bible a daily part of your routine. You know, we offer, for instance, the daily bread. You can, you can have the, the, the printed portion, or you can just download an app, or find a devotional that works for you that will insist that you get into God's Word every day. And then when you open up God's Word, underline the passages that are significant to you. Think about the, the questions that arise from those passages and, and talk about them with your friends. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Uh, he said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a, a, a light unto my path. Listen, if you want God to speak to you, get in his word and you'll hear him. David also said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Think about what the Bible does for us. I love the story that Charles Swindoll used to tell. He, he was one of my favorite preachers, one I truly respect. One time, he was, one time he was finished with leading a conference hundreds of miles from home, he said. The final session was over. He had dinner by himself. He was ready to head home the next day to fly. But he went back to his hotel to spend the night before the flight. Well, after a late dinner, he got on the elevator and he headed back to his room two provocatively dressed young women got on the elevator after him as he pushed the button for his floor he politely asked the women what floor they they said well how about your floor Swindoll said he was somewhat flattered because he had never been mistaken for Robert Redford and as the elevator started up, he realized he was all alone. No one would have to know what he had done that night. But then he asked, do you know what was going through my mind as that elevator slowly moved up to my floor? He said, not my church. Not my family. He said it was a verse of scripture. Kept coming to mind. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. Apostle Paul told the young man Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus for all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. You see how the scriptures are described as food. It, 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 it needs to be digested on a regular basis. And some of us are starving. 
Well, what are some other habits? Well, I would suggest this. One of the things that I take note about Jesus is that he developed significant and nurtured significant relationships. You know, Jesus had close friends. You know, if you're a personality like mine, you think, you know, I'm okay. I'll do just fine, thank you. I really don't need that. But I want to challenge you. I think about the passage in Mark that says, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. I think one of the great things about a church is the fact that, that in this kind of community we can develop smaller groups that come together to help encourage us in our walk in faith. Now, now I, I think every Christian needs to have some kind of small group or some place that, that we need to be with other people so that they get to know us and we get to know them. And you say, well, pastor, I'm different. I really just don't need that. I'm like that. I, I, I'm an introvert. I'm very happy in my office by myself. But you know what? That's, that's just pride. We don't want to be exposed. We, we don't want to be challenged to, to grow in our faith. And sometimes the challenge doesn't come from the lessons that we might be doing in that Bible study or that small group. It comes in just learning how to get along with my my small group how to get along with that person who requires some extra grace but our pride says no and yet let me tell you something important god doesn't want to hurt our pride he wants to kill it and don't ever forget for the disciples to be with Jesus, it cost them something. They had to leave their fishing nets or their tax collector table. It wasn't convenient for them, but it was good. We need to have people then who influence us. I used to tell my kids when they were younger that they should seek out friends that would call them up. I didn't just mean someone to call them on their cell phone. They found those rather easily. But people who will make you better, call you up instead of take you down. You know, as a pastoral staff, we've been thinking about this recently, and we decided that we would come up with a, a, a list of people who are influencing us to help you maybe understand what what we are being influenced by and so just recently we put together on our website a resource library and if you go to that web page you're going to find all those things that we declare maybe it's a, an author that we're reading or maybe it's a twitter feed that we're following or something on instagram or or uh, any other media that, that uh, might influence us, a podcast. Because one of the things I've realized as I've talked to a lot of our folks is in this church is that you're following some kooks out there. And, and I want to assure you that maybe there, there are some ways that we need to kind of balance it out so that you are being exposed to 
healthiness rather than a popular Christianity that may have very little to do with Christ himself. And so we wanted to offer you, and, and you're welcome to look on this webpage to see what it's like. Be careful because we want to, to help call you up to a stronger faith. One other habit I want to take note of this morning that Jesus incorporated into his life is this one. Jesus made a habit of solitude and prayer. Jesus was always getting away to be alone with his father. You know, at the beginning of his ministry, after he was baptized, Jesus did go into the wilderness for 40 days of solitude. Before he selected his disciples, he went up to the mountain to pray. Again and again, you will read that Jesus, the busiest man who ever lived, a man who accomplished more in three years of ministry than anyone ever has in a lifetime, withdrew to a solitary place and prayed. When it came to facing the cross, he went to the garden to pray. In his dying moments, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was a life of prayer. When the disciples had a chance to ask Jesus to teach them anything, you remember what they asked him. Lord, teach us to pray. Something about Jesus' prayer life that was so impactful, so effective, they said, we want to pray like you pray. Now, can I make this observation? You know these habits. This is not earth-chattering. I've told you nothing that, that probably you see as new, but I will say this. These habits don't come easily. They take time, and they come at a cost. There are things that you will have to say no to so you can say yes to these. Years ago, when Micah, my son, joined the flag football team, it took him a while to get his motor running. One Saturday, I said to him, listen, son, I'll give you $20 if you make a tackle today. That Saturday, I owed him $20. Finally, he had made his first tackle. I learned that day what motivated my son, Micah. Well, later that year, Micah joined the upward basketball team here at church. He didn't make a basket all season. It was just one Saturday after another. We'd come together. He didn't make the basket. His older brother, Caleb, trying to encourage his brother, said, Micah, if you make a basket today, I'll give you 10 bucks. If you make two, I'll give you $25. Well, I had learned my lesson in flag football. <laughs> but that day, Caleb owed his brother $25. There is something about the reward that motivates us, isn't there? But listen, do you know why Micah made two shots that day? Motivated? Absolutely. But you know, it was more than that. He had been practicing 
he had been practicing. So, so why is it that we go to church and worship? Why do we make that a priority? Why do we study the Bible? Why, why do we seek to be with other Christians? Why, why do we spend time praying? Is it because, well, it's going to make us a better person? It's going to make us a better leader? Maybe. But when we practice those things, let me tell you, it's better than that. Is it, is it because God is going to bless us with material wealth or physical health? No. So why do we do those things? Because when we do those things, we get him. We get him. And in reality... That's what we really want, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, open our eyes to see clearly this morning what we really want. Are you enough? Oh God, you are more than enough. But we get distracted. We get pursuing other things, things that ultimately don't matter at all. But in this place this morning, for just these moments, would you just remind us and give us a vision of what you offer to us that we can know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that by your grace I'm called your son by your grace I inherit all the benefits of the kingdom by your mercy, Lord, I'm invited into your throne room and I can know you. And so I can know that, that there is nothing that can happen today that is not outside of your goodwill for me. And Lord, even in those times when I hurt, you said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so, Lord, I pray that I would know your peace. I would know your blessing. But most of all, Lord, I want to know you. May I make you the priority of my life. And when that happens, Lord, may I demonstrate to others that you are good that you are alive. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.